Welcome to the Ray of Hope Church podcast. We believe that hope changes everything, so get ready for an encouraging message from the Word of God. We pray that you would receive wisdom and revelation as you grow in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank the Lord for an absolute God. Amen. Yeah, would you guys stand up with me? I'm glad that you're here this morning. Thank you by whatever device you're streaming by. We're glad that you're here. Everybody have a good weekend so far? Oh, good, good, good. Today we're going to talk about more than a token. Now we're going to kick it a little old school today. We're going to kick it with David and Goliath. Oh yeah, some of you guys, you know that since kindergarten. So it's going to be good though, okay? If you'd open up your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 17 and 18, we're going to talk about... David and Goliath. Now, we will not go over the whole story of David, but and I will give you a synopsis of the story here of this battle. But um, as you turn there, so you know my heart, as I look at our country, as I look at our community, as I look at our world, we're fighting a lot of Goliaths. There's a lot of people fighting a lot of Goliaths. My heart goes out to our church in Afghanistan, the underground church, and the Goliath that they're looking in the eyes of. And our brothers and sisters need our prayer. There's some evil that they're facing. These, these Marines that we lost, the, the, the people that are going into the military, into the war, we need to pray for them. Amen. And then we have our community. We're fighting this pandemic. And I know whether you're listening to me by the device you stream or you're here in the audience and you're fighting some health issues, we want you to know that we're on your side. That we're praying. But we know that it's very real and very true. And we know that we can get focused on that, so let's read here. 1 Samuel chapter 17, verses 17 and 18. And Jesse said to David his son, Take for your brothers a ephah and a parched grain and these ten loaves and carry them quickly to the camp to your brothers. Also take these ten cheeses to the commander of their thousand. See if your brothers are well and bring some token from them. It's very interesting that he says token from them and other translations of the Bible it will say word. But nonetheless, we're, we're looking for something good here. Bring something back. They've been battling for 40 days. Surely they have something good to carry back. So would you bring that back for me? Let's pray. Father, our hearts are bowed to you this morning. God, use your servant. Let's speak to your people, God. We know that your word is anointed. We know that it will change our lives and infiltrate us, God, and make us like you, God. We're here to be encouraged, to be inspired, and to do what you say, Almighty God. So work only way that you can work. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ, we pray. And everyone says, Amen. Amen. I love you guys. You may be seated. Look at your neighbor. Let them know that you're glad to be here. And once again, guys, we are glad that you're tuning in and being a part of this. How many of you guys are, how many of you guys are the grocery buyers of your house? How many of you guys go to the store and buy stuff? Yeah. Right, I don't really want to go, but you can go. I'm a list person. Are there any other list person in the house? Yes. Now, whenever I don't go into a store with a list, bad things happen. Okay? If Mary says, pick up these three things, but I don't go in with a list, I come out with 17 things and two out of the three. Not bad, you know? I need you to get lunch meat, I need you to get bread, and I need you to get cheese. All right, I can do that. And then I forget two out of the three or one out of the three, but I do come back with chocolate donuts and little Debbies, potato chips, can't forget about Cali with microwave popcorn. It's important, sweetheart, it's important. Yeah, and then I come back, as many of you do, whether you're a woman or man, and present it to your spouse and say, this is the token I have gone. And they look at it and they say, that is not exactly what I expected. Well, send me with a list, send me with a list. 
But uh, many times I do that, and Mary, for the first time, I'm going to tell on her, for the first time she did it the other day, and I had so much fun with her. She went to Walmart and to the, this grocery store for some food, and she came back with all kinds of stuff that was extra, and none of it was healthy. I said, aha, the bug's gotten you too. Yeah, now you know how I feel. So it was a great time. But we come back with something that we didn't expect. We come back with that token. And here, David is commanded by his dad. He said, listen, I want you to take some things to your brothers. And when you come back, I don't want you to come back empty-handed. I want you to come back with the token of their progress. I want you to come back with the token of their efforts. And David does that. So David goes down to the enemy lines where, his, um, where the Israelites are fighting here in chapter 17. And he brings the cheese and and the things that he needs to bring and gets them to where they're supposed to be. And then he goes on kind of like an exploration, if you will. He talks to his brother, which his brother doesn't greet him very kindly. Anybody have any older brothers in here? Yeah, they're not always nice, are they? Okay? David ran into the same situation. <laughs> Getting some chatter out of that one. Uh, David ran into the same situation nonetheless. When his brother couldn't answer his question or didn't want to, he turned around and found the answer to his question. And it was simply, who beats this Philistine? What do they get? Because he saw Goliath coming out and defying the armies of God. And something began to stir in him even as a young man. And he asked the question, what happens if somebody beats this man? They said, well, it's easy. You get some gold, you don't have to pay taxes anymore, and you get a bride. He's like, okay, I'm in. Now, he goes to Saul. Now, the reason why he can approach the king is because in a chapter earlier, we realized that there's King Saul, who is the king of the Israelites, is having a spirit come on him that distresses him. So he calls David because he hears that he can play the harp like nobody else. David comes in, plays the harp, and the spirit leaves him. Well, then he appoints him even as an armor bearer. So David has some sort of relationship with King Saul that we know of. That's the reason why he was able to show up on the battlegrounds, figure out what's going on, and go talk to King Saul. And he said, I want to be the guy that goes and fights Goliath. There is a little bit of apprehension from Saul, but nonetheless, he sends David out after trying on some armor that didn't fit. And what I mean by that is some of that armor that he put on, he could just kind of shake off, but it didn't fit him. David said, I cannot go out with that armor because it has not been tested or proven, but I know what I can go out with. And that's when he goes out with his weapons, and then he stands toe-to-toe with Goliath. And then sure enough, we know he puts the rock in the sling, Slings the rock. The rock sinks into Goliath's head. Goliath tumbles over. David takes Goliath's sword and cuts his head off. And then they pursue the Philistines and win the victory. Now, what I want to concentrate on is the reality of why he went to the battle. The reason why he went to the battle is because he was there to receive a token. And I want to tell you something. You're in the middle of fighting your Goliath trying to receive that token, trying to receive the healthy marriage, trying to receive something that would spark something maybe in your kids. Maybe you have an employment issue. Maybe you have a financial issue. Some of you guys are staring health issues in the face, and that's your Goliath, and God has sent you there. And you're thinking, maybe that's all I can come back with. But listen, God's got something in store for you that is greater than a token. Amen? He's greater once you get through this thing. And I want to congratulate you. If you've been fighting your Goliath and you made it through, congratulations. We're proud of you. And we really mean that because we know it takes guts and courage. But we also want you to know that if you're fighting your Goliath right now, we have your back. We're praying for you. 
we know the battle's real. We know it's real. We know the fear is something that you have to deal with. We know that at times you feel alone and feel distressed and feel like you can't do it, but we want you to know that we have your back and we're praying for you. Amen? Whether you're watching by whatever device or you're in this congregation, we know that there's a battle that you're fighting in and that you're raging. And if it's not, then congratulations, but let's make sure we get ready for the next one so we can have more success. Amen? Now, as we go forward here, there's some things that I want to quickly comment about Goliath, and I don't want to take all day on Goliath. But there's some things that he did that was very unwise in the battle that led to his defeat. Now, the first one that sticks out that's very easy is he didn't serve the true God. He served pagan God. Okay, so, that's, so let's just get that one out. We know that. He was from the army of the Philistines. They had pagan gods. They did not serve the one true God. And its salvation is incredibly important. If you're going to win the battle that you're in, you have to make sure that that is steadfast, that that is firm, that your heart is in the right place with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen? David did not have that. But there, I, mean, I mean, excuse me, Goliath did not have that. But there's some other stuff that he did as he was looking at David in chapter 17 and verse 42. He began to belittle the situation. He looked at David with disdain is what, the, um, is what, what our scripture says. So he looked at David and he began to think, this is not as, as big a thing as I thought it was going to be. And he belittles the situation. Listen, you don't belittle the fight that you're in. Because if you lose the fight, amen, it becomes a bigger issue. It doesn't matter what size of fight you're in. If it's big to you, we don't want to belittle that. And that's what Goliath began to do to David. Goliath also began to underestimate his enemy. He began to look at David as a boy and think, ah, oh, I can whip this dude. Well, we do that whenever we rage in battles, especially when things start going our way. Sometimes we can look at that battle and say, I got this, I can, I can do this, I don't need help. Maybe the devil is not as tricky as I thought he was. Uh-uh, 2,000 years he has experience in this, right? These evil spirits have experience in this. I cannot underestimate my enemy when it says that he goes around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And then it uses the rough language of killing, stealing, and destroying. We must not underestimate what God has allowed us to partake in and battle with. And, and Goliath did that. Oh, certainly this is just a boy. Am I a dog that you'd come at me with him? We cannot underestimate our situation. We don't want to do that. And I want to encourage you, don't underestimate it. It's a big fight. If it's big to you, it's big. Now, eventually, you'll beat that one and beat the next one and beat the next one, and you'll look back years later and say, oh, that was nothing. But right now, it's something, amen? And that's okay. Right now, it's something. And then we also see that he looked for the wrong source. Goliath said, I'm going to curse you by my gods. Now he's not looking at the right source. Sometimes, whenever we engage in battle, we can look towards our bank account. Whenever we look in the battle, we can engage that I've got this necessity or I've got that, I can handle it. A, a little bit of health issue rises up and say, no, I'm still healthy or whatever the case may be. And we start looking internally. Now, I'm not saying we cannot work with confidence, but there's many things around us that we cannot look to. And that's what he did. I'm going to look to my gods. Okay, but whenever you look to these things that sometimes we promote as gods, whether it be pleasure whether it be finances, whether it be prestige, whatever it might be, we wind up in that Goliath situation where we're moving away from what God's telling us to do and we don't want to do that. And then finally, ooh, we see it so strong in David. We see that he came to me and I will. You see the pride coming up? 
He looks at David and he says, come to me and I will. What are you going to do, Goliath? What are you going to do? Because so far for the last 40 days or whatever, all you've done is talked. You hadn't whipped anybody. Now you come out and all of a sudden, because you look at your enemy and you've belittled the situation and you've underestimated the power of God, now all of a sudden you're about to get your tail whipped. And we don't want to be in that situation because God has called us to be a conqueror. Amen? Amen. Amen. But you see this self-reliance. You see this self-reliance. I can handle this. I can do it. No, it's okay to show weakness. You don't rely on your weakness. You go to God and say, in my weakness, you are strong. Many times this can show ourselves as, I don't need my brother and sister. No, we're better together. We need each other. We need each other, amen? But here is Goliath saying, I can do it all on my own. And the man gets his tail whipped by a teenager. So it's not good. It's good for the armies of Israel, but not good for him. Now, as we move to David here, what I want to highlight, what I want to highlight is that David did not do this stuff very perfect. It wasn't that he was a perfect man, but I would submit to you that he pursued it with excellence. He pursued it with excellence. Does that make sense? But he was not perfect. So as you approach, and we approach the situation, as David approached the situation, it'll help us understand that he was not perfect, but he still tried to do it the best of his ability. And he was there, and he said, I want to bring this reproach off of Israel. I want to bring this shame off of Israel. You got some things in your life that you need to get rid of some of that shame, right? Well, listen, the victory in reproach is all in the approach. Okay, David had the right approach. The reason why he was able to remove the reproach from Israel is because of his approach before his God. So it's all in the approach. And the first thing that we see in David here is we see that he was obedient. I love David. His dad tells him, he says, go get this stuff. And without hesitation, David goes and gets the grain and the cheeses and the things that he needs obedience is not always going to make sense what the Lord speaks to you in your battle. Can I get an amen? It's not always going to look like what you think it's going to look like. God will speak to you and you'll say, man, that, I don't know if that makes sense. Now, if it's contrary to his word, ding, 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 don't do it. Okay, we got that, right? Just because it's contrary to a man, that's a different story. Because they might be not be hanging out on the faith level that you are. You know, some people haven't been through what you've been through. They haven't had to shout like you haven't had to shout. They haven't had to pray like you've had to pray. Does that make sense? So, so we, 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 we want to guard ourselves there. But if it, if it is against the word, then absolutely. But obedience is key. And the reason why it's such a key or a mark is because it shows us who we have our faith in. It shows that I'm going to obey you because I trust you. And true obedience is even when I don't understand. And David does that here. And one of the great keys that we can have is as God speaks to us in our battle that we rage in, that we obey, we listen to his voice. I love verse 19 there in chapter 17. It shows his preparation. See, preparation is such a wonderful thing. Whenever you come into the house of the Lord and you prepare your heart. God, I expect to receive something from you. I'm preparing myself that I'm going to be in your presence. Even in your quiet time or whatever you want to call it, there's a certain amount of preparation that goes into that. God, I'm prepared for you to speak to me. It's important to me. And here, David, what does he do? He goes to his dad, and he not only is obedient, but then he goes and gets the stuff for the commanders... And then the few sheep that he was taking care of, because he was called out of the pasture to do this, he left them with somebody. He just didn't up and leave and do whatever he wanted to do. 
It shows the amount of preparation that I'm going to take serious the jobs that you give me. No matter how small or insignificant somebody may think they are, or I may feel that they are, God, I'm going to prepare. And that's exactly what he did. Not only did he go get all the stuff for his brothers for his brothers after his dad told him to, and he prepared that for them, but then he also prepared a stand-in to cover the sheep while he was gone. That's pretty impressive. Preparation is something that's key in this. Whenever you're fighting your battle, you're fighting your Goliath. Because God wants to speak to you, but so many times we got these different things that we wrestle with that hit us. And sometimes our heart can be blinded, our mind can be blinded, our eyes can be blinded to what God is trying to say. That's the reason why whenever you go in, you prepare yourself, God. If there's any sin in my heart, take it out. If there's something that's messing with my mind, God, I clear it. There's nothing else on my schedule that's more important than right now than you speaking to me. So I want to prepare myself. And David did that. Then David, we also see that he was single-minded. He had a focus here that, that is incredible to me. He's on his way to get this token. And then he finds out the battle. He's focused in on the battle. He's asking the questions. And the way that I know that he's focused is that one of the first things that he engages in is his brother's anger. Now, I can't, I can't completely blame Eliab. And this is the reason why. Because if I had been standing on the line seeing, uh, seeing Goliath for 40 days or, and, and not being able to do anything, I don't know if there wouldn't be some fear in me saying, are we even going to win this conflict? Are we even going to be able to do this? And his brother is angry, and he looks at him, and it shows that he has angry. Now listen, whenever people are about to lose something, angry is an emotion that you will see. And you must contain anger. You must deal with it because if you don't, it will eat you alive. It will set you back. How do we know this? In chapter 18, verses 6 through 8, David has just beaten Goliath. He's going back into the community, and they're singing the favorite, famous song, David, uh, Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his ten thousands. And as they sing this song, the very next verse in, chat, in verse 8 says, and Saul was very angry. Why? Because he knew that he was about to lose something, that, that, that he was rising up. But we have to understand that we can't get distracted by somebody else's anger. And people get angry for uh, uh, many reasons. Maybe they're afraid of lo losing something. Maybe there's a little bit of jealousy. But whenever we operate in that anger, we always lose something great. Alexander the Great was one of the greatest leaders in history. Now, he didn't do everything right, and I don't want to pretend like he did. But he was a great, great commander, conquered lots and lots of land. He grew up with one of his generals as a kid. He promoted him, and then one night that general got drunk. And that general began to talk and, and, and talk down Alexander the Great and his staff. And out of anger, Alexander the Great grabbed a spear and threw it at the general and meant to hit on the left or the right of him just to scare him. But because of his anger, it was so powerful, he threw that spear and it killed his general. They said that for days he would mourn over that general, call his name out loud, even took that spear and tried to take his own life. Because he was in a place where he knew he had done wrong. But anger had overpowered him. And we have to make sure that we don't let anger. Because whenever somebody else gets angry, how many of us know it's really easy to get angry, right? 
Yeah, that's a, that's a spirit that's catchy. So we want to make sure. But then he also, his brother also hurled false accusations at him and insults. Listen, in the battle that you're in, Satan will do whatever he can to distract you and pull your mind and pull your time and pull your efforts off the main battle here. The main battle for him was Goliath. Yeah, people's going to insult you. Yes, people's going to ask about your motives. Yes, people are going to be angry at you. Why? Because we are taking territory back for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And anytime that happens, the enemy does not like us advancing. And this is a good thing. But we have to be prepared for that and say, whoa, wait a second, I've got to come back on focus. I have to come back to what God has called me to do. And I don't know your Goliath. I don't know your battle. But I want to tell you something. God does. And He hasn't forgot about you. He's placed you there. He's allowing you to go through this. And His Spirit will be manifested. Amen? And great things will happen even though it doesn't feel like it. But if we get all caught over on some kind of tangent or something and we lose the focus, we lose the battle. God didn't call us to lose the battle. He called us to win the battle. Win the battle. Then in verse 30, 32 of chapter 17, finally we see David engage. And this is what he tells Saul. He says, Saul, he says, your servant will go and fight. Now this is interesting to me. How many of you guys have a pair of tennis shoes in your closet because you were going to start running a year ago and they're brand new? No, don't raise your hands. Don't raise your hands. How many of you guys have a better bicycle, an indoor bicycle, or maybe a treadmill that makes a way better closet than it actually does to walk on it, right? Yeah, I got a brand new weight set. We haven't engaged it yet. We know, we know we need to, right? We know we need to put the shoes on and go walk or go run. We know we need to do this, but we haven't engaged the battle. Here, we get to a point where whenever you're fighting your battle, you have to intentionally engage. And that's what David does. He says, your servant will go and fight. And this is what makes me smile about David. Saul, King Saul, the one that he could get an excuse from, he did. You have that one person in your life that, man, if they would just make an excuse, it makes it easier not to do whatever you're supposed to do. Oh, we all have them. Don't get quiet on me now. Come on. We had a great worship time. I know y'all can sing and be loud. We all have those people, and we're waiting for it sometimes. That was King Saul to a degree. Think about it. He's king of, of Israel. He goes out to David, and he says, David, you don't have to do this. You're but a youth, and he's been a warrior since his youth. Mm, he gives him an excuse not to engage. You've got to quit. I've got to quit with the excuses. We've got to intentionally engage in the battle. We're there. I will go and fight. See, Paul talks to Timothy about this same thing. It's the youth scripture that you see about on every shirt where Paul is writing to Timothy, his young son in faith, and he says, Let no one despise your youth. But you become the example that God has set forth in faith and purity and love. And I love both of those scenarios because God takes out of the equation whether somebody provides me with an excuse like David had or whether you're in the situation like Timothy where you feel like you're too young and you can't handle it. God takes that excuse away too. No excuses. Engage the enemy intentionally and see what God won't do. Amen? But we have to engage. We get to that point where we have to engage. God's got your back. God's got your back. He's got more than a token waiting on you. You think it's about one thing. Oh, but God. But God, amen. But he goes in there. But we have to engage. Another thing that I see that young, Tim, or that young David does, I love it. He begins to remind himself of what God has done in his life. After, after King Saul looks at David and gives him this amazing excuse, what does he do? He says, King Saul, i got a story for you. 
See, there was this one time a lion came and took one of my sheep. And, and, and it was just me and God, and I went there, and I, and I fought the lion, and I won. And then there was this other time a bear came. And God rescued me from the lion and from the bear. And I was able to say, save the sheep. And I'm telling you, he will do the same thing for me. See, that's the reason why quiet time is so important or whatever you want to call it. However you get away with God. Because it's in those moments where God speaks to you and you know it's real. And then when you engage in the battle, you know and you can remind yourself, no, he spoke to me. He gave it to me. He set precedence in my life it's important that we get together like this because we feel the spirit of god and we know it's real think about all the churches in afghanistan that met and now they can't meet and they're thinking back and saying no i felt the spirit of god i know that it doesn't match but i know that he's real there's a pentecostal preacher he tells the story before he got saved he was a marine and he walks into the church and the only reason why he's there at his church because his employer begged him to go, and he finally looked at him and said, listen, I will go to church if you quit this religion business. So he goes, <laughs> he goes into a Pentecostal church. He goes in there and he says, listen, this church can't seat but 75 people. You know, the pews are smashed up against the walls, and there's only an aisle down the middle. He said, oh, but when the people began to sing and praise and worship God, there was a reality to what they did, that they were serving a true God, that it was real. He said, my wife was crying and my daughter was crying. He said, everybody was crying because they were in that realm of the reality of God. He said he got out in his car and he's so nervous he's trying to strike a match to light a cigarette and he can't do it. And his daughter looks at him and says, Daddy, what do you think about that? He said, baby, I don't know about religion, but if I ever get me any, that's what it's going to be like. <laughs> and if you've ever been in that situation, you understand what he means. It's that reality that we go back to that we know that God is real. And sometimes, oh, we just got to remind ourselves. I know what you spoke to me. I know that you provided. I know that you've healed. I know that you can do it. And that's okay to do because when you're in the middle of the battle, sometimes we just have to remind ourselves. And then we see a great sense of humility with David. I love his humility. Saul goes in and says, let me dress you and outfit you in my armor. Now I want you to think about this for a second. David, before this point, is the one who took care of Saul's armor. He would have known the armor maybe even better than Saul. Yet he does not argue with the one that was put in authority over him whenever he said, let me try it on. Can you not tell me? It says in Scripture that David was ruddy, Saul was tall. Can you not tell me that he knew that this stuff wouldn't fit anyways? But he still allowed the one that was in authority over him to do it, even though that it all fell off and he could not trust it. Now listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. God has put some people in your life to speak into your life. I know you think you know, but you better listen anyhow. See, that's true humility. I, I think that I know, but I better back up and say, do I really know? Because that gets you in trouble quicker than anything. I don't know how many times I've sat down with people, well, I thought I knew. Well, 47 people told you not to do it, dude. Yeah, but I thought I knew. I know we've got to calm down, listen, we're in the heat of the moment, show some humility, and even if I don't think it's what I think it is, I'm going to still... Submit to that authority, amen? And show that humility because that's what true humility is. Just because I think I know doesn't mean I know. 
Now, sure enough, David was right in that situation, and he was able to go out. And I also see that he just went back to the basics. I love it. He just went back to the basics. He shook the armor off, and whenever he got through with the armor, what did he do? He said, listen, this stuff hasn't been proven to me. I've got to take what I know. I've got to take the sling, the rock, and the staff. When you're in the middle of the battle, don't let the enemy talk you out of prayer and fasting, reading the word of God, worshiping him in your quiet time, setting time aside to go seek his face and ask him. Very basic stuff that we preach time and time and time again. But listen to me, David, I want the sling, I want the rock, and I want the staff. It makes perfect sense to me. I want the rock, I want the stone that the builders rejected, Jesus Christ. I need the Holy Spirit. That's the sling. That's what propels my Christian life. It's what talks to me and speaks to me. The Holy Spirit does. And I need the leadership of God over my life. I need that staff very present so he can lead me and guide me and direct me. Amen? It's those basic things, and that's what David goes back to. And he says, listen, this has been proven. You know what's been proven in your life. Don't let the enemy or your friends or your neighbors or anybody else talk you out of it. And there's going to be well-meaning people. Saul wasn't trying to be upset. He was well-meaning trying to protect David. And you're going to have it come up and you know that your prayer life is one of the things that has kept you on the battlefield and engaged and won. Yet somebody comes up to you and, oh, if you'll just read this book, it'll change your life. But, But wait a second, I know that prayer is what's been proved. Oh, if you'll just do this, if you'll just come to this service or listen to this podcast. But wait a second. I know that when I get alone and I raise my hands and I begin to worship God Almighty, that He begins to move on my my behalf, and that's been proven. You have these things that you know that God has spoken. Don't let it take you. It's not insignificant. Remember, Goliath, it's not insignificant. Don't belittle it. No, prayer and fasting and seeking the face of God, these things that we do that you know that's been tested and proved is where you need to run to. Amen? We run to that shelter. We have to go back to the basics. You have to be honest. One of the basic things that you can do is be honest with God. Be honest with yourself And be honest with the people who are trying to help you. Many of you guys, and I'm proud of the guys that I get to meet with. You're you're being a mentor. Listen to me, mentees. And I'm one of those two. I'm a mentee. I'm a mentee. I'm, I'm the one who's trying to understand. When I get in the presence of the person that I'm trying to learn from. It's always detrimental to tell them what you think they want to hear. You're not being honest with that person and they cannot help you. Because many times what you think they want to hear is not what they want to hear. They want to hear the truth because they're trying to help you and increase you. You can't go to a marriage counselor and tell them that everything's okay. It wouldn't be or you wouldn't be in here. We got to be honest. My kids are crazy. I need prayer. We all been there. Good Lord. Come on now. You know, there's some things going on in our life that we don't understand, and God's moving, and we're honest. We're honest with ourselves. God, I'm in the middle of the battle. Where are you? David would do this throughout the Psalms. God, where are you? Have you left me? And then he would begin to preach himself back into happiness. And by the end of the Psalm, he goes, Okay, I know that you love me. We're good to go. But he started out with that honesty God, I feel like you've left me. Where you at? I'm calling unto you. 
Then yourself. This is my weakness. I don't need to go through door number one because door number one has my weakness. That's not good. And then honest with the people who help you. I love the story of Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. He's trying to be above reproach. And he says this, For we aim at what is honorable, not only in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of man. He's carrying a collection that the church has given him to Jerusalem. And it's Paul and Titus that are going. And to keep from any kind of reproach being on them, what he does is he brings a guy that's very well known. Now, the guy's name is not mentioned, but it is said in Scripture that he is very well known throughout the churches. Now, think about it. This is Paul. Paul's the one that has anxiety day and night for the churches. Paul's the last person that I would assume would steal from churches. Because he wanted to be honorable, because he wanted to be honest, because he wanted to take in consideration what was honorable... I'm going to bring him with me, and I'm going to be honest. It's those basic things that we go back to in the heat of the battle. Do not let the enemy talk you out of them. Do not talk yourself out of them. We know that nothing is hidden. And as you fight and you engage, you begin to win the war. And I want you to think about this now as we close. David went out for a token. But I want you to think about this because he was honorable in battle, because he was prepared, he did the things that he needed to do. Think about him whenever he walked back into his father's house, Jesse. Now, I know he didn't walk back in the head with Goliath. I understand that. That would have been super cool. You know, blood dripping. No, come on, come on, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Okay. It's, a guy, it's a guy thing. It's a guy thing. Okay. He walks back into his house with Jesse, though, his father. And he says, Dad, I'm back. I got your token. I slayed the giant. I got a sack full of riches. Hey, we don't have to pay taxes anymore. And the good news is you don't have to find me a bride because I've already got one of those too. What he initially set out for was just a piece of what God wanted him to accomplish. Your, your marriage is important, but don't be blinded by only your marriage. God is using your marriage to strengthen you. That way you can become the man or woman of God that your kids can look up to and follow. That way your grandchildren can look up to and follow. Yeah, He wants to strengthen your marriage. And yeah, that might be the Goliath that you're fighting, but don't stop there at that mere token. Make it much more than that. Maybe you have an issue with the mouth. This, I'm not going to ask if anybody has a potty mouth. Don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. But it's much more than what I speak out of my mouth. The token is that I clean up what I speak and what I say. But we also know that Scripture teaches us that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And where my heart is, there will my treasure be. So God is trying to teach me that what I'm speaking out really reveals my heart. And He's trying to change my treasure. That way my life will be changed. It's not so much maybe about what I say as what, what I say reveals is inside of me. But it's more than a token. It's more than what we think. David came back in and he had his token plus more. Romans 8, 31 and 37, it says, verse 37, Now in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. To preface that statement in verses 31 through 36, we read things like, if God can be for us, who can be against us? That means there's going to be some people against us. 
Who can charge God's elect? Well, that means some people's going to come up against you, question your motives. They're going to ask you some things and insult you. It's going to be perplexing. You're going to feel like you're being crushed. But we know that also we have the one who intercedes for us. But why do we need to be interceded for? Because there are some battles that was raging that we're a part of. And then verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or the sword? I feel sorry for churches, and I mean this with a heart that is not putting anybody down. But that would say, well, you lost the battle. Your health is the way that it is because you don't have enough faith. Oh, your finances are the way that they are because you just need more faith. When Scripture teaches us contrary to that, that we are more than conquerors through things, through tribulation, through times in our life where we're naked. And I know that Paul was referring to his nakedness and being beaten, but it's also a spiritual connotation of where my insides are out before Christ and I am a broken individual saying, God, heal me, touch me, change me, do whatever you must do. And it's in those moments that we become the true conquerors that God has designed us to be. So I don't know what Goliath you're fighting, but you keep fighting for your health. You keep fighting for your marriage. You keep fighting for salvation, for your financial freedom. Whatever it is, you keep fighting for it. Those people in Afghanistan that are out on tarmacs and all kinds of different situations, they're facing a, a, a giant that we cannot even comprehend. And as I was praying this morning, as many of you do for the church, God, I don't even know if I know how to pray because I haven't been in that situation. I don't have the fear of somebody coming in my house. But God, I know despite the situation, we are more than conquerors. And I don't know where you're at, but you are more than a conqueror. You keep fighting and being faithful. You do the things that God has called you to do. And go back to the basics. I'm going to pray, and I'm going to read, and I'm going to love, and I'll do it all again tomorrow, and tomorrow, and tomorrow, and tomorrow. Why? Because I know that I am the victor, not the victim. I know that despite the situation, what it looks like, I don't have to succumb to it. Because the devil will come at you like Goliath with a javelin and a spear and a sword and all these nasty things. But we have to remember you can come at me like that enemy. But know that I come in the name of Jesus Christ, Son of the living God. But you got to be vocal. you got to believe it. Because the battle you're in, the enemy means to take your life. It means destroy and kill. But I want you to know that God hasn't forgot you on your battlefield. God hasn't turned his face from you. He's taking you through some stuff and it's not fun. But whenever it's over, if we stay faithful and true. What was just a mere token will be more than we could ever imagine. Ephesians 3 and 20, exceedingly abundantly above all I could think or ask, according to that power that works within me. So whether it's your health or your marriage or yourself, you keep fighting that Goliath. Would you bow your heads with me? We are so thankful you joined us today. We would love to hear from you at rayofhopepodcast at gmail.com. 
Let us know how you are encouraged and how we can pray for you. Remember, Christ in you is the hope of glory, and hope changes everything.